Recent developments to assist women wishing to extend their fertile years or to fight the effects of cancer and its treatment have created a new niche, fertility preservation. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, your host, and with me today is Dr. Robert Green. Dr. Green is Assistant Clinical Professor at UC Davis Medical School. He recently merged his OB-GYN practice with the Scher Institute for Reproductive Medicine. Dr. Green has published numerous articles in the medical literature and has recently finished his fourth consumer health book. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much for being on the show. And I have to say, I don't know much about fertility preservation. Can you fill us in, Robert? Yeah. What we're realizing now is as we get better and better at diagnosing and treating cancers, that we have to realize that the consequences of some of the therapies that are offered can have lifelong implications. And, you know, now that we're overcoming the cancers and, and, you know, restoring people's lifetime, we're wanting to see how we could do things even better. So fertility preservation is geared towards overcoming the challenges that people have after surviving a cancer that's been treated with you know, uh, chemotherapy or radiation in addition to the, the standard surgeries that are often used. What is the risk of infertility after something like chemo or radiation therapy? It's a great question, and it really depends on the age of the patient and the type of therapy that's used. You know, chemotherapies, what we understand is that the major toxicity of, of chemotherapies is really related to the cell cycle-specific agents, meaning that as the cells are dividing or maturing in the case of the ovary, that's when they're most susceptible to chemotherapy. One of the important things to keep in mind, I'm always reminding uh, myself and my colleagues, it takes an egg almost 300 days to mature. Mm. So even though we focus on what happens the two weeks before ovulation, that there's a tremendous pool of eggs that are impacted during the months before. And you know, which chemotherapy is used and what dose is used can have a complete uh, annihilating effect to some of these developing ovaries. Now, are there certain chemotherapeutic agents that are particularly toxic? Yeah, well, unquestionably, the ones that are our biggest concern are the alkylating agents because the alkylating agents have a cytotoxicity that's independent of what stage of development the eggs are in, and those can completely wipe out a woman's fertility and unfortunately, those are very popular agents that are used in a variety of types of chemotherapy, including some uh, breast cancers as well as the uh, more commonly uh, diagnosed Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphomas that we sometimes see in younger women that very often don't even have a partner, let alone ever having considered uh, having a pregnancy. Now, uh, we've been talking about kind of toxicity to the egg, but is there also an increased risk of birth defects or even miscarriage after having cancer treatment? Well, the beautiful thing is, is we're finding that there is not any elevated risk of birth defects. The biggest risk is just not having a pregnancy at all. Mm. Uh, In terms of the risk of miscarriage, we're also learning once again that just like we've learned through the fertility treatments that we have that menopause doesn't impact the ability of a woman to carry a pregnancy, chemotherapy also does not compromise that ability. And, and so in addition to using fertility preservation treatment, all of our cancer survivors also 
typically have the ability to consider using a donated egg instead. Mm. I assume your menu of options changes before they actually have the cancer treatment versus after the treatment. What kind of options do women have before they even get started with their cancer treatment? That's a great question. The most important thing is counseling the patient to be able to investigate what options they do have. Because, for instance, with some pelvic cancers, sometimes it's recommended that at the time of their surgery, if they're having surgery, that the ovaries be relocated outside of the pelvic area. Sometimes that could be done if there's going to be a planned radiation treatment because obviously we'd want to remove the ovaries out of the radiation field. Sometimes even a piece of the ovary could be biopsied and frozen for the possibility of future fertility. But clearly our most exciting option today is the ability to freeze unfertilized eggs because for women that don't have a partner yet, for instance, we're often uh, having a harvest where we could freeze eggs that have not even been fertilized and thaw those and later fertilize them with a much greater success than was ever experienced before. So obviously this requires a lot of planning ahead by the patient and her physician. Are most oncologists now referring patients uh, to you for this sort of even evaluation before they start the whole cancer treatment process? Absolutely. You know, amongst the oncology community, there's been a tremendous upsurge in in this field in terms of the interest. There have been many patient organizations that have launched outreach to increase awareness. One of the biggest is there's a big patient advocacy group called Fertile Hope that was actually one of the founding members was the uh, wife of cancer survivor Lance Armstrong, or I should say ex-wife. But what's so important is one of the things that patients have conveyed to me is that even if they choose not to undergo fertility preservation, it's an amazing impact that it has upon the patient when you even talk about their fertility because they realize that they really do have a very good chance of surviving this cancer. And the fact that someone is talking to them about life beyond their cancer really puts things in a different light for them. So it's become a a mainstay of, of at least counseling if not actually implementing therapeutic options. And certainly I would think as well, not only hope, but to offer patients some control over what used to be, you know, a completely out of control situation. Exactly. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent, your host, and with me today is Dr. Robert Green. We are discussing fertility preservation. Now, Dr. Green, what are the options after cancer treatment? After cancer treatment, the options are far more limited. One of the most important things to do is to start off by measuring what we call a patient's ovarian reserve. There's a variety of different tests available to see how viable a woman's ovaries really are after cancer treatment. And usually it's important to wait at least about 12 to 18 months before making any assumptions that your tests are going to be reliable because oftentimes initial tests that can be very disappointing can sometimes have a little bit of recovery. Any other options for women after cancer treatment? Well, after cancer treatment, the main option is, of course, using donated eggs. But beyond that, you know, once the damage is done, it's not something that we have the ability to overcome at a later date. Mm -hmm. In terms of stem cells, 
that's research that's years into the future, and it may never actually hit the practical arena that we hope it will. Now, is there anything to be done with her partner? We've been talking about women who would like to preserve their fertility, but what about men? Uh, You mentioned Larry Armstrong earlier. Um, Men that are undergoing this kind of thing, what can we do for them? Well, it's become pretty standard with uh, dealing with male cancers to have men bank sperm specimens before undergoing cancer treatment. Part of what's really changed in terms of our options is the technology. It's actually much easier to freeze and store sperm than eggs because sperm really has very little water in it. And what happens is throughout the freezing process, water expands and can damage the interior of the cell. An egg has a tremendous amount of water when you look at the total size of an egg. And it's, it's always been dealing with this water content that's really limited our success rate. Today we've actually uh, got a technique uh, called vitrification where an egg is frozen in a nanosecond. And by freezing it that quickly, it minimizes the damage that's able to occur within the cell. And that's why we have a much greater success rate in thawing them later on. What's also important with an egg is that we also have to get that egg to mature. When we freeze immature eggs, that generally means that those eggs still have 46 chromosomes and we have to get them to complete their cell division so that they lose that first polar body and go from 46 to 23 chromosomes so that they could meet up with that sperm. Now, what effect does the patient's age have in all of this? Do you approach the patient wishing uh, fertility preservation differently if she's, you know, say 50 as opposed to 25? Absolutely, because, you know, what tends to occur is that the damage that's inflicted upon the ovaries really depends, it it tends to be sort of a percentage-based phenomenon. And so with a younger patient, since you're starting out with a larger number of eggs, you can tolerate greater insults to the ovary in terms of the chemotherapy and the the dosing. Whereas for an older patient where you're dealing with a more fragile pool of, of fertile eggs, it could be very, very damaging and, and very often today still, you know, irreversible. That's why it's so important that we talk to people before they've actually undergone the chemotherapy. Do you have an age cutoff um, after which you, you won't even consider this sort of technique? I always tell people it's always based on health and based on success rate. In other words, when we do the test for ovarian reserve, if I find that there's a reasonable ovarian reserve, I don't really care if the patient is 40 or 42 or even 45. Beyond 45, it would be so unusual to find a good ovarian reserve. I'd at least want a second test to confirm that the patient was still fertile. But we see that women can carry healthy pregnancies well into their 50s or or even their early 60s, but those are only women that have actually uh, received the egg from a donor of a much younger age. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Robert Green. We are discussing fertility preservation. Anything else that those of us not in your subspecialty need to think about if we're referring patients for fertility preservation? Well, the most important thing is that the goals today are really towards creating a healthy baby one at a time. And so what we've done today is we've really developed techniques that can dramatically improve our ability to screen to identify the perfect egg or the perfect embryo rather than trying to overcome the inadequacies 
by using larger numbers, which has been the standard until very recently, or, or even still today there are centers that will transfer four or five or sometimes even six eggs or embryos, and that's, that's a, just a, a dangerous situation waiting to unleash. Mm-hmm. So by being more selective and, and getting the, the perfect egg or the best egg possible, you can hopefully eliminate some of these multiple births? Uh, it, it's well beyond hopefully today. It's just a matter of applying the technology counseling the patients and taking the right steps to minimize the patient's cost and at the same time maximizing their outcome. And again, the thing I always stress is the outcome we're seeking is one healthy baby at a time. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today, Dr. Green. Oh, absolutely. It's always a pleasure. We've been discussing fertility preservation with our guest, Dr. Robert Green. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 